0: Well, let's go ahead and pray together. Come on in and we'll pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for caring, caring for us and giving us uh, everything that we need, uh, including your word that feeds us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would open up your word to us, that it would, you would shine a light on it, that you would open our minds and open our hearts to understand it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you were in the first uh, service this morning? All right. So for those of you who weren't in the first service, Pastor Bailey is preaching on Acts 15, and I'm very glad for it because he's, he's just dealing with things that I haven't been able to and is doing it from his perspective, which is very good. So to, so you're going to hear Acts 15 again today if you haven't already. So also, for time's sake, um, I'm not going to read the chapter again, but if you, if you don't get it now, you'll get it later, unless you already had it. Anyway, it's, it's good. I'm glad that I don't have to read the chapter again. So just to remember, we are in, we are in the second pass at uh, Acts 15, and, oh no, there we go. Remember, um, we're looking at it under four headings, and um, we've looked at the first two, the problem and the polity, and then today the principle and the pastoral solution. Real quickly, remember, the problem is in stated a couple times in the chapter at the beginning. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. So they came down to Antioch, this is where this is happening from Judea, from Jerusalem. And began teaching the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then in verse 5, once they send delegates from Antioch, the churches, I would say, of Antioch down to the churches of Jerusalem, uh, they're in the course of meeting and some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying it's necessary to circumcise them, the Gentiles, and to direct them, the Gentiles, to observe the law of Moses. Moses. So that's the problem. We saw that last week. Um, These men are inside the visible church. And so this is, in one sense, obviously this is an internal doctrinal dispute. But as we're going to see today, as we move on and look at the, the principles at stake here, this is not a minor doctrinal dispute. Actually, the unity of the whole church is at stake. And actually, souls are at stake. All right? This is not color of the carpet type stuff. Right. Uh, this is deadly serious, and we saw last week that doctrinal conflict within the church is essential to the peace and the purity of the church. You think? Well, no. It destroys the peace and the purity of the church. No, doctrinal conflict ensures the peace and purity of the church. We are we are united by the Holy Spirit and by our doctrine, the truth. And so conflict within the church, doctrinal conflict, brings clarity and unity. And we'll see that uh, work, work uh, see how that works out in Acts 15. And so these men are teaching that in order to be saved, Gentiles must be circumcised, they must observe the law of Moses. And so for these Jewish Christians, these former Pharisees, there's no way for a Gentile to become a Christian unless he also becomes a Jew. Not genetically obviously, but religiously, okay? And so in order for a Gentile to become a true worshiper of Jesus, they have to be circumcised and they have to keep all the statutes and ordinances of the law of Moses. What we're talking about here is not the moral law, but particularly the ceremonial law, things like dietary rules and feast days and those kinds of things. And so that's the problem, okay? Are you all with me? We're all back up, booted up into the gear here? Okay, Now, the polity, I'm just gonna read through these. Pastor Bailey's gonna be preaching about this today. But here's my summary of the polity of Acts 15. Uh, The polity, remember, just means form of government. How did they they work together? And what do we have here as a pattern for us, right? Uh, First of all, several local congregations operate under a governing body of presbyters or elders. Uh, Number two, those congregations send officers as representatives to a court of appeal which we call a presbytery or a synod or a general assembly, depending on the context, whatever. Those officers discuss, debate, and decide a doctrinal dispute. And those officers then draft a letter, in this case, a statement, a standard, a doctrinal practical standard uh, that contains decrees that are binding on the churches. And then the local church members are free to observe the whole process, and they have some role in ratifying or implementing the decision of the officers. Tim is going to open up all of that stuff more today. I'm I'm glad for that. So that's the problem. That's the polity. Now let's look at how it actually worked out and what the doctrinal principle at stake was, and then we'll look at the pastoral letter that they draft and send out. So number three, the principle. All right. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, I'm just going to read some of the relevant sections. This is uh, chapter 15, verses 6 through 11. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. So what is he talking about there? This is Peter. What's he looking back on and referring to? Hmm? Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, remember, where he, God calls Peter to go to travel to another city, to Joppa, and go into the home of a Gentile, not just a Gentile, but what? A Roman centurion, the, you know a high official in the occupying um, force that all the people of Israel were chafing under. So it's not just, an, you know, this is, that's a big deal. So Peter says, Remember, God used me to go and, and preach to the Gentiles in that very unique way at the beginning. And they believed it, that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And then he says, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. Who's the us? It's the them and us, them as the Gentiles, us as the Jews here, the believing Jews, right? And he made no, no distinction between us and them, us Jews, them Gentiles, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. So this is an argument, right? Remember it says several times, great debate and dissension came up. And so that means they're arguing. They're not just yelling at each other, they're reasoning together, they're debating, they're making points and counterpoints and bringing forth evidence and argument and logic and all that. And that's what the Apostle Paul or Peter is here doing. So let's look, at the, uh, let's look at this argument. What we have here, if you could lay it out like an argument, all right, you have three whereases, uh, a therefore and a furthermore. <laughs> Brian Bailey's not here. He'd, he'd appreciate that. But that's how I'm going to lay it out. I mean, he doesn't say whereas, whereas, but you know how the, he's giving evidence. Then he comes to basically two conclusions at the end. So let's look at this. Whereas first, I'm qualified to talk about this. Okay, that's his first point. I'm qualified to talk about this. I'm qualified to have an opinion and you should listen to me. What, why? Well, because of what he says, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. God chose me back then to go to Cornelius. I preached the gospel to him. And he and his whole household believed and the Holy Spirit came on them. I was there, I saw it. You should listen to what I think about this. Okay? So whereas first, I'm qualified to talk about this, and whereas second, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit just like he gave us Jews the Holy Spirit. He says that when he says, and God who knows the heart testified to them giving giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us right, so I was there, I can speak about this because I was there, God chose me to to go and, and preach to Cornelius, I was there, and I saw it, he gave the Holy Spirit to them, just like he had given the Holy Spirit to us, and what event is he talking about when he says, when he gave the Holy Spirit to us, what is he talking about? The day of Pentecost, and they were all Jews, They were all Jews, right? The day of Pentecost, they're in the upper room. There are no Gentiles there. These are Jews. And that's exactly the kind of thing that happened to Cornelius. Do you remember? The Holy Spirit came, they started speaking in tongues, right? I was there. God testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did also us. So that's whereas number two. First, I'm qualified to talk about this. Second, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit, just like he gave us Jews the Holy Spirit. And whereas third... God saved the Gentiles in exactly the same way he saves us Jews through faith. And he says that when he says, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith, right? He he gave the Holy Spirit and he saved them just exactly the same way that he saved us. There was no extra step for them. There wasn't something extra that they had to do in order to qualify themselves to believe in Jesus, the gospel came to them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They believed in Jesus. God made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles. He cleansed their hearts by faith. So those are the three whereases. Right? Those are, that's the evidence. And then he's going to make a conclusion. Okay? Therefore, now, I'm paraphrasing this. And I'll, but I'll show you the, the, the verses right here. Therefore, it's absurd to say that the Gentiles have to obey the law in order to be Christians when we Jews ourselves has not been able to, have not been able to keep the law. Right, and he says that when he says this. Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the, of the disciples, the Gentile disciples, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? How can it be that the Gentiles have to do this extra thing. They have to become Jews and keep the law when we all know we weren't able to keep the law ourselves. Who are we, who are we kidding? Right? Who are we kidding? D- you see the point? This is a, th- that's a joke. This is absurd. The reasoning of these Jewish Pharise- former Pharisee Christians, right, is crazy because... We even, not even we or our fathers have been able to to bear the yoke of the law and keep it. Not even the ceremonial laws. Now, and then there's a furthermore. Furthermore, last point, Jews and Gentiles are clearly saved from God's wrath purely through the grace of Jesus Christ that is through his sinless life and substitutionary death on our behalf. Now, I filled in that last part, but that's what he's talking about, right? And this is the verse where he says this, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of, our, of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. When he says we're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus, that means something, right? We know what that means based on the teaching of the apostles and their preaching. That means um, we are saved From the wrath, saved, what do you mean saved? Well, saved from the wrath of God, right? The judgment of God against our sins. How? Well, through his sinless life and substitutionary death on our behalf. So we know that we're saved just in exactly the same way as they are. They are saved in exactly the same way as we are through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, period. So that's the argument, right? He lays out some facts, I'm qualified to talk about this. I was there. God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit just like he did us. God saved the Gentiles. He gave them faith just like he did us. It's crazy to say that the Gentiles have to obey the law in order to be saved because we can't even keep the law. And besides, we all know that the only way people are saved is by the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? That's the argument. Good argument? It was. It is a good argument. Good argument. Any any thoughts before we press on to see what what happens now, or where? I want to open this up a little more. Actually, was that a thought or just a? You're just breathing. You're allowed to breathe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. You're right. The the resurrection is tied in with this intimately and can't be separated. Okay, now. This argument that the Apostle Peter is making here in Acts 15 is exactly the same argument that the Apostle Paul is going to make later in the book of Galatians at length, and also some places in the book of Romans. We're not going to look at the places in Romans because it pretty much repeats Galatians, but in shorter form. But we're going to look at some of the passages in Galatians. But, that, but this is what we need to see. Um, the Apostle Paul in the letter to the Galatians, right, is fighting the exact same doctrinal dispute as they've settled in the, book of, or in, in the council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. It's the same thing. There's nothing different about it at all. And so it helps us to understand what the issues are, what the principle is. And so we're going to zoom into the actual theological principle at stake by looking at some places in the book of Galatians. So look at this. First of all, notice how important the issue actually is. Remember when I said this is not a color of the carpets kind of dispute, this is life or death. And here's what the Apostle Paul says to the Christian, the Gentile Christians in Galatia, it's up in what we would call Turkey basically today, and they're being taught and beginning to believe something exactly like what the uh, Jewish Christians are saying in the Council of Jerusalem, that Peter just argued against, same thing. This is a a, a heresy, or yeah, a heresy, that didn't die easily, right? So, Paul has to deal with it again. Here's what he says I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. This is no uh, side issue, right? The Apostle Paul and the rest of the apostles and elders in the Council of Jerusalem all agree on this. If you get this wrong, you're not messing around with the edges and little secondary or tertiary things. You're dealing with the very center, the very foundation of the gospel itself. Look at what he says. I'm amazed that you're so quickly... Deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. So what does this amount to? What what they're doing amounts to what? Hmm? Apostasy, which means what? Turning away from God. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about God here. He's not talking about Paul. I'm, I'm sad that you disagree with me now. No, no, no. I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting God who called God the Father who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, he says. Now, when he says different gospel, he's quick to point out not that there's like a smorgasbord of options that you can choose from. You like this gospel and I like that gospel and she likes that gospel. There's only one gospel, right? Different, but it's really not another. Not like there are options. Only there are some of you who are disturbing you. That's the same word that the letter uses that we're going to see from Acts 15 in a minute. Disturbing you, you're being disturbed by this. Um, there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Want to twist the gospel of Christ? What? How do they want to twist it? Well, we know they want to twist it into uh, you got to be a Jew first. Right, But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, so he's saying this new so-called different gospel is in fact contrary. It's the opposite of what we preach to you. He is to be what? Accursed. Accursed means what? Damned to hell. That's what it means. It doesn't mean Shame on you. Oh, well, but you know. You just. Maybe someday you'll understand better. You know? No. Go to hell. God's curse. Go to hell. That's what accursed means. All right? Anathema. And as we said before, so I say again if any man's preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. so this is not a matter of interpretation. This is not a matter where immature Gentiles just need to be brought along. This is not an issue of indifference. You know, the Apostle Paul would never say you can force the Gentiles to live like Jews if you think it'll help their maturity. No, the gospel itself is at stake. Quite literally a matter of life and death. All right, you all see that. There it is. Yes. You know, it's kind of amazing to me that when Luther got into it, Pope, used language almost out Oh, absolutely. Yeah. During the whole, re- not just Luther, but Calvin. All the reformers, when they were, when, and during the time of the Reformation, they used exactly this kind of language because actually exactly the same thing was at stake. Right? It's a different gospel. All right. Let's move on to the next passage. I want you to see, and that's chapter two. Now, this is going to be on two different slides, so we got to follow through what's going on. This is the place where the apostle Paul talks about rebuking the apostle Peter to his face, and he's going to. So, Paul's going to tell us what happened in Antioch. This is all happening back there in Antioch still, and. Um, He's going to tell us what was going on, what Peter did, what Paul himself said to Peter publicly in the presence of the whole church, right? That's what this passage is about. So uh, Galatians 2 verse 11, but when Cephas, another name for Peter, um, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Condemned. That's like the language he used in the passage as it's read to you, accursed. He was condemned. He was, again, this is not some little minor dispute. He's willing to oppose him to his face and to say he's condemned if he continues to hold this. That's serious business. He stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, this means those Pharisee types who came down from Jerusalem, okay, prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He ate with the Gentiles, and it was fine. He had gone to Cornelius' house and ate with the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. It was fine. God told him. Remember? Remember the vision that he gave him before he went to Cornelius' house that, motiv- that made him willing to go, you could say? The sheet that came down with all the unclean animals, and God says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he says, do it. And he you know, goes to the Gentiles. That's the whole point of that. And it's all wrapped up with food, even in the vision. So Peter should know this really, really well. Years ago, in the passage we're looking at in Acts, would have been years before this event in Galatians, Peter would have said, uh, Peter said, look, remember, I'm the one who went there. I'm the one that God chose to go to the Gentiles. So he should know this. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. <laughs> See The mess, the, the inner person, the, the fear of man, how that causes you to treat other people badly and actually to violate the very essence of the principles of the gospel, all because of the fear of man, right? Something we can all have done and could do easily. Then he says the rest of the Jews joined him in, in what? Hypocrisy. With the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Now, why does he call this hypocrisy? What's hypocritical about this? They had been eating with the Gentiles, but when these Jews came down, they were like, okay, yeah, sorry. And so why is that hypocrisy? Think about what Peter himself said a few years ago in the Council of Jerusalem. What did he say? They received the Holy Spirit just like we did. They're saved just like we are. And come on, guys, we couldn't keep the law. And now they're holding themselves, what's the word he uses? Aloof, right? We're better than you. That's what that word means. No, you're not. You're a hypocrite. And even Barnabas, the guy that everybody loves, is carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, you see this? Gospel, this is a gospel issue. They're twisting the gospel. They're not straightforward about it. They're twisting it. That's what's at stake. Here's what I I said to Cephas in the presence of all. Now notice, wrong direction. See the quotation marks? They run all the way to the end of the next slide, okay? So this is what he said to Peter. He didn't just say one line to him, he kind of gave him a speech, all right? And here's what it is. Talking to Peter in his face in the presence of everybody. If you, Peter, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, which he had done by eating with the Jews, this is how we know that Peter was violating the so-called um, dietary laws, What, otherwise, what does it mean for him, for Paul to say to Peter, you lived like a Jew? I mean, like a, like a Gentile. That means he was eating their food. It's not just like, okay, I've got my cafeteria tray and I'm going to sit next to you and you can eat your food, but I'm going to eat my food. I brought, I brought my own food. (laughs) I brought my own food. No thanks. But I'll sit at the table with you. Is that what's going on? No. No. They're eating the same food. That's what it means to eat with them, right? Yes? Uh, in uh, King James, it's even more specific to hypocrisy. It says dissimulation. But no one knows what dissimulation means. Well, Anyone know what dissimulation means? Basically, hiding what you are. So, in other words, hypocrisy. Well, uh, hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand. It is, it, dissimulation is a good word. You should all learn it, actually. It's a good word. It means it's a kind of deceptive. I mean, hypocrisy is, a, is close, but it's, it's more deceptive, I think. Don't you think? Dissimulation. Okay, so you see, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, you're happy to eat their meat when they give it to you, at least you were, How is it that you now compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's that's always been the, the, the issue here. It's what it is in Acts 15. They should be forced. It's necessary for them to be circumcised and to eat our food like we eat it and do what we do. In other words, you gotta live like a Jew. Well, come on, Peter, you don't live... You live like a Gentile when it's convenient for you. And now you're saying they have to live like Jews? And their souls are at stake if they don't? Really? And he goes on. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. I think he's being a little sarcastic there, actually. Right? Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we, we who? We Jews, even we Jews, have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. No, no Jew, no Gentile, nobody. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. He's talking, I don't want to get into all that, but he's talking here about um, what Peter just did. If I rebuild what I have once destroyed, what did he destroy? He destroyed what Paul calls, in, in like the, uh, the book of Ephesians, the, the dividing wall, the middle wall, the, all the, the, the commandments and ordinances that God in fact destroyed when he broke that down and made the Jews and the Gentiles one in the church. Okay, If I... If I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Not for destroying it, but for rebuilding it. You see that? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That's what the, the law does. It, it kills us. It shows us our death. It shows us our, 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 our helplessness our total inability to obey him. So through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law brought me to Christ, pointed me to the gospel. I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. Like you do, Peter. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. That's intense. That's really intense. You, Peter, you're a hypocrite. You can't keep the law. We're not justified by keeping the law. Why do you think the Gentiles are going to be justified by keeping the law? And if we re, if we place this law keeping, no matter what kind, in the place or before or alongside, anywhere near Justification, then Christ died needlessly. Because if you can do this, then what's this Jesus dying on the cross stuff about? What's the point of that if all you have to do is be a nice Jew? All right. So, Peter stood condemned. Peter and the believing Jews were being hypocrites. Peter and the believing Jews were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Serious business. One more passage in uh, Galatians, chapter five, verse two to six. And here he's kind of summing up an argument. Behold, I, Paul, say to you, that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. So if you Gentiles... Listen to these Jewish Christians who are saying you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian or even in order to be a good Christian. If you listen to them, then you're done with Christ. Christ is of no benefit to you because you're trusting something other than Christ. And once you trust something other than Christ, you're not his anymore, right? And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You want to be circumcised, fine. What you're saying by that is You will keep the whole law perfectly or else you'll die. Are you up for that? No. You have been severed from Christ. Interesting choice of words. He's no dummy. He knows exactly what he's saying. You've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law You've fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. All right, very strong words. That's the principle. That's why this is a fight worth having. And it's amazing that they uh, came together on this. Okay, now, we've got to run. Here's the letter. So this is number four, uh, point number four, the pastoral letter. Acts fifteen nineteen to 23. This is now James talking. So Peter talks, Paul and Barnabas talk about their experiences on the first missionary journey and the Gentiles coming to faith. Then James comes up, stands up and talks. And this is what James says, Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. For Moses from ancient generations has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. So here's the letter. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia who were from the Gentiles. Greetings. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you, that's that word again that Paul uses in Galatians, they've disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls, I mean, they're they're clearly on the negative side of this, right? They're 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 condemning those men by saying this. We didn't tell them to do this. They're disturbing you and they're unsettling your souls. Since that's the case, it seemed good to us. Having become of one mind, that interesting. Uh, having become of one mind, what does that mean? It was a process. It was a process. The process was what? Fighting. Debate, dissension, arguing. Led to them being of one mind. That's why fighting and debate and arguing is good in the church. Especially among the elders. (laughs) Was that a sigh? You don't like fighting among the elders? Having become of one mind... To select men to send you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, whom themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Now, what do we make of this? there are four essentials that they four things they call essentials you abstain from things sacrificed to idols from blood from things strangled and from fornication now what's weird about that list what's weird about that list is only one of them seems necessary right fornication wait no oh, no i thought i had the list up there only one of them seems necessary. It's abstain from fornication. Yeah. The other three seem weird. It seems like um, the first three seem like ceremonial law stuff. I thought that was what the fight was about. Um, So we can all agree on number four, no fornication. The Gentiles are so bad about fornication that you had to keep on saying it every chance you got. So they get another chance to say it, they're going to say it. Seriously, read the New Testament. The first thing that the apostles always do when they get to the practical parts of the of the epistles, the first thing they always deal with is fornication. Always. Or sexual immorality. So yeah, they're going to say it here. But what about this food offered to idols and blood and meat that's been strangled? Doesn't this just put the Gentiles back under the Jewish ceremonial law? Isn't this repeating what the former Pharisees were saying? Well, no, it's not that simple. Remember, later in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, what does the Apostle Apostle Paul say about, for example, food offered to idols? We don't have time to look at that passage in 1 Corinthians. Remember, there's a long section in 1 Corinthians where he talks about food offered to idols. In the end, and he's talking to Gentiles who are former pagans who are asking, can we eat this food offered to idols? What does he say? What does he say? He says, yeah, just be careful because you don't want to, harm the conscience of other former pagans or current pagans who will see you eating food offered to Zeus and think, oh, so wait a minute, do you worship Zeus? No, it's nothing, Paul says. Read it in 1 Corinthians. But be careful and love your neighbor, love your brother. Okay, that's what he says when he's talking about Gentiles and Gentiles. But look at this. The passage in the book of Romans where he talks about the same issue, hits the nail on the head with exactly the same situation we have in Acts 15. The situation is how do Christians who are Jewish and Christians who are Gentile were Gentile pagans. So you've got in the same church, Christians now who grew up Jews, they're Jews, they've had all of the ceremonial law, all that stuff, all their lives. And then you've got these Gentile pagans and they were pagans, but now they're not pagans, they're Christians and they're coming into the same church. How do they live with each other? How do they tolerate one another? How do they get along with each other without unnecessarily just dividing themselves constantly with their conscience? Well, it's exactly what he's talking about in Romans. And I got to read this quick and we'll be done. Here we go. Romans 14. Notice, the, uh, no, notice what he says. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. What kind of stuff are you talking about, Paul? Well, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So he uses the word unclean. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the Jewish dietary laws, clean or unclean. And he says, look, I know Jesus himself declared all foods clean. I know that there is no no food that's unclean in and of itself. I know that. I can sit down with a Gentile and eat baby back ribs and, and enjoy it. Seriously. Yeah? Mm hmm. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it's unclean. Who's that guy? who's the guy that's going to think something's unclean? A Jewish Christian. To him, it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Who's him? The Jewish Christian. So he's talking mainly in this passage to the Gentile Christian who, you know, throws a church dinner and, and serves pork to all these Jews. And they're like, well, wait a minute here. Really? Am I allowed to do this? I don't think I'm allowed to do this. If you cause your food, if, if, if because of food your brother is hurt, you're no, no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you, Gentile, a good thing be spoken of as evil by them. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, Gentile, if you are willing not to serve the Jewish Christian pork, you'll have peace. You'll have peace. You're allowed to eat pork. They're allowed to eat pork as a matter of fact, because nothing is unclean. But For the sake of peace, don't do it, right? Or things offered to idols, same thing. So, so then, we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean. Second time he says it. But they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. If I eat and rub your nose in it, I'm sinning, right? It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is the one who does not condemn himself in what he approves, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. When you think of the weaker brother, And there's another passage where that's the term used in Romans. The weaker brother here is the Jewish Christian. He's not the mature one. He's not the mature one. He's the one with the scruples. He's the one who says, I think that's unclean. No, it's not. Jesus said it wasn't. The Apostle Paul says it wasn't. But there's something in my conscience. If I eat that, I feel like I'm sinning. Well, then don't eat it. Because if you eat anything that's not done according to faith is sin. That's the context of that. So think about this. Um, This is exactly the kind of thing going on in Acts 15 and the pastoral letter. You Gentiles, okay, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You Gentiles, you know, you and I know that all things indeed are clean. But if you rub that in the face of the Jewish Christians, you will hurt them, you will destroy them. That's the word he uses. No, pursue the things which make for peace and for the building up of one another. Don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your Jewish brother stumbles. That's a, that is practically Paul's commentary on the pastoral letter of Acts 15. The elders and the apostles in the Jerusal, council of Jerusalem come to a pastoral decision It's not mainly a moral decision except for abstain from fornication. That's a moral decision. It's mainly a pastoral decision that allows the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians to live in peace with one another in the same church. So come on, guys. Don't eat the pork for the church pakla. Can you you not do that? It's not even the pork. It's food offered to idols, things that are strangled, That means the blood wasn't let out of them when they died. And blood. Can you just not do that? And yeah, don't fornicate. I'm going to tell you again, don't fornicate. So here, think about this. I'm done. You've got this guy. Let's say you've got a guy in in a church that has both Gentiles and Jews in it. Let's say the Gentile is named Jason. Okay, Jason the Gentile. And he's a former pagan. And he brings his blood sausage wrapped in a nice pork chop that he picked up on clearance at the idol temple. (laughs) Right? He's got his nice pork, nice blood sausage wrapped in a pork chop picked up from the idol. On clearance, it's a good deal, from the idol temple. And he brings that to the church potluck. What are the Jewish brothers going to do? They're going to lose their minds. You see that? What are you doing? You want me to eat that? And there's gonna be a fight. The bottom line is there's gonna be a fight. And the apostle Paul and the elders and the apostles in Jerusalem say, live with each other in peace. These rules, these, these three of the four, right? By the time the church is mainly Gentile, which doesn't take very long, those things are all just gone. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul's saying, go ahead and eat the meat offered to idols, as long as it doesn't hurt the conscience of the other guy. Same principle, but a little bit different application. All right? Now, Pastor Bailey's going to preach on this again and going to make more application, because I don't have time, about uh, living at peace with another, and making decisions, elders, all that stuff. We've got to be done. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us, we pray. Help us to live at peace with one another, to love each other, to guard one another's consciences, and to gain real practical wisdom from this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.